You know, um, I want to also thank uh, Jessica and Lindsay, who were also at the prayer booth, and they they did the awkward job of being there to pray with people. And they don't feel it's awkward. But for me, as more of an introvert, it's terrifying. And um, Reggie and Isaac also helped set up the tent, so that was nice of them. Bryce and Angel also helped tear it down. So, And you guys all prayed for it, I think, and so I think that's probably why it was such a successful thing. Um, we see in Cars, if you've seen Cars, you know, Lightning McQueen chooses to help the king across rather than win the Piston Cup. And now we serve a king who isn't frail and feeble like the king in Cars, but the one guy, Chick Hicks, the green car, he does what he thinks is popular and cool, and he's kind of an obnoxious jerk the whole time in the show. And he wins the race, and he wins the Piston Cup, he is impressive in his own mind. He's the champ. But in God's paradigm and in the paradigm in the movie Cars, which I wish was our world's paradigm, but it is not, doing good is rewarded over being victorious. And we're going to talk about coolness today and our desire to be cool. But I want to clarify what the word cool, at least when I'm meaning it today. It's the desire to be liked and popular, to do what is socially acceptable. The dictionary says it's the quality of being fashionably attractive or impressive. Fashionably attractive, impressive, popular. And I don't think these would be words that we would use to describe Jesus. Well, not in the way that they're generally understood in our society. Yet, we all too often strive to be cool rather than to be like Jesus. Rather than to strive to be reflections of Jesus in this world and his unique form of showing the impressiveness of God. Whether he was attractive in a way as he drew crowds, but he was attracting people to God through faithfully serving God and showing God's great power. And he was popular in the kingdom thinking, yet opposed by others. We want to be reflections of what the world, we want, to, we all, all too often want to be reflections of what the world says is cool, rather than reflections of Jesus. We would rather be accepted and adored by others rather than faithfully serving no matter what the cost. But Jesus didn't achieve all that he did in his amazing ministry that established a church that exists through centuries to this day to even this place all the way around the world from where he was. He didn't accomplish all this through seeking social acceptance, but instead through having radical obedience to his father, sacrifice, and had the power of God flowing through him. Jesus was so uncool that they decided to kill him. And when the time of his execution came, the only person that pretty much remained was Mary. And all his followers then eventually abandoned him. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit arrived that they were emboldened and willing to be uncool too. The same spirit that we have in us. And most of those early leaders actually then went on to pay for their uncoolness like Jesus paid for his with their own blood. Denying yourself and carrying your cross wasn't just some abstract concept to these people. It was real. We have people getting stoned to death and stoned nearly to death in the book of Acts. We have, we have stories of persecution through the early church. They didn't do that to cool people. You don't stone cool people. For cool people, you throw parties and galas. We have Jesus coming into town in a parade on a donkey. 
Again, that's not how cool people come to the party. I even noticed it in our parade. I mean, nothing against this. But like the people, like the gym of Antwerp, they don't drive through town on an old jalopy. They get one of the best cars they know how to find and they ride that car in the parade. It was no different in that time. They would get the best chariots, the most powerful war horses, and they would come into town if you were the king as an impressive display as possible. Jesus came on a donkey. And this uncool coming in on a donkey was so important to God that it was even prophesied in the Old Testament prophets that the Messiah would be so uncool he comes into town on a donkey. They didn't use the word uncool. The early Christians, though, were opposed and they were persecuted. Yet that didn't seem to concern them at all. They cared about one thing, and that was doing the will of God. And whether they were cool or not was not on the agenda. There's a story that happened early on in the church. Peter and John, they were arrested for sharing that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-expected leader and Savior that the Jewish people were waiting for, and that they had killed him and he had risen from the dead. And so, because they were sharing this story, this, these facts, they were brought before the people of the day, the judges. And it goes like this. And when they had set before them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, trying to get out of any trouble, said, we, we were sorry. No. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven or under heaven Go, given among men by which we must be saved. This is pretty bold. They're being brought before the, the trial because of talking about Jesus. And so when they kind of like give them a way out, they just double down on it. And they, he actually just says, you know, you rejected Jesus and he's the only one that can save you. Pretty bold. It goes on. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. So they're given the terms of their probation. We're letting you go, but you can't speak of Jesus. And they turn around and just tell them, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. That's a bold reply. So Jesus doesn't care if you're cool. The early apostles understood that. They're not trying to be accepted by the powers that be. Jesus doesn't care if you impress others. He doesn't care if the world thinks you're awesome. What he cares about is if you are faithfully serving him. Whether you're faithful, even to the point of being threatened. And I run in church circles on Facebook because of friends. Maybe you have some friends in ministry at, 
very prominent churches too, and maybe you see the really, really slick marketing that comes from those churches. I see absolutely astonishing programs, things that even if I dreamed of them, their budget costs more than our whole budget for a year. And I see Christianity being absolutely so cool that I wonder if Jesus would actually be extremely uncomfortable in it. And I'm not here to attack anyone specifically or any specific methods, but I do wonder if a lot of churches today would have Jesus behaving a lot more like he did in the temple than when he just was worshiping God. Where he went around flipping tables and driving the people out because they had turned the house of God into a den of thieves. And I want to have one generous statement here because I feel that maybe paragraph might be a little too judgmental. As I say with, regarding Joel Olstein and these other churches maybe in our movement that are super slick, maybe they are being absolutely faithful to the calling that God has placed upon them. And it's just a completely different calling to me, and that's why it rubs me wrong. In the end, all of these efforts, as long as they're about trying to get people in the right relationship with Jesus, to get them to follow Jesus, I can't be too mean towards them. So I, I can be frustrated with the methods and think, that's not my calling. But I may be just measuring their efforts in regards to my calling when they may have a different calling. So I'm going to be gracious and give that out. But to me, it does seem a little off. And it's easy, though, for me to point fingers at them, especially at giant churches who, in my mind, bask in money pretending that they've been overly blessed by God when they actually intentionally planted a church in a wealthy community. But they don't have the same inner city financial problems or rural problems that we have in our church. But we must examine ourselves. Is our faith more about coolness than about sacrifice? Are we willing to associate with the outcasts at the risk of being the uncooled church? There was a scene where Jesus was eating with prostitutes. Let's look at it. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And tax collectors were abhorred, just like we all love the IRS. And he said to them, or said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, because he had a lot of money because he was a tax collector. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are we spending, are we spending time with the people that Jesus spends time with, or would spend time with? Are we doing it? without letting them influence us, but just because we want to love them? And in the end, I think it might be a great indictment on the church in America that we don't spend time with the people Jesus would spend time with. It's always been my passion in ministry and life to have a real authentic community to be part of, a real authentic church. And that cannot happen if we are overly concerned with being cool. Because when I sit in a small group and someone just opens up about a struggle or a problem and I just think, man, they're uncool, I'm not going to associate with them. No, that's not what we do. We're family and we, we hear one another's problems. I mean, maybe one week it's somebody's turn to share their problems and the next week it's somebody else's. But if we're worried about being cool, we'll never open up about a struggle or a problem because cool people don't have these struggles. And that 
is what I love about this church. I think we are a real authentic community, but we still need to continue to grow in that direction because only when we're real and authentic can genuine love really happen. Because if you're being fake, I'm loving the fake person and not you really. Here's the thing. I often share stories and illustrations here, some of the best stories in Christianity in modern times, and they are amazing. And I want those sort of things to happen in my life. I want to see those sort of things happen in your life. But we have to learn, actually, to just be faithful in the daily grind. The unamazing moments, whether they seem unamazing, but really any moment is a, can be an encounter with God, which is absolutely amazing. But thinking that being faithful to Jesus is about just the amazing moments causes us to miss God in the daily moments. And I sometimes ponder when sharing a great illustration, which I will hear in a little bit anyway, because I'm not convinced, but I ponder if sharing those amazing stories can be more detrimental to our faith than helpful. And that would be is if we let those amazing stories make you think that you're inferior because you don't have an amazing story like that. Or maybe because those amazing stories make you think that your relationship with God is not that good. But instead, I share the amazing stories to hopefully be an encouragement to keep on pushing us to, to strive to, into God and to serve Him no matter what the cost. And if you're spiritually dead, then I hope the amazing stories will be like a spiritual defibrillator to your heart. Because we can struggle, I think, with apathetic Christianity that doesn't really strive to be faithful and to do the things that God wants us to do. But God doesn't always have us do amazing things. He has us do little things, one thing at a time. Zacchaeus had to be uncool when he climbed a tree to see Jesus. Here's the short guy climbing the tree. I'm sure I would laugh at that. But he did it because he wanted to see Jesus. And Paul had to be uncool, too, when he chose to follow Jesus. You know, Paul was part of the elite crowd. He left his circle of influence, his circle of privilege from connections, and his power that his education gave him to follow Jesus with abandon. Jesus, for both these guys, was the goal, and Jesus was enough. Their hearts wanted Jesus. And the truth is that our lives are always a direct reflection of our hearts. It was, Jesus taught this. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Ooh, he offended the Pharisees. He answered, I'm sorry to have offended the Pharisees. I must rethink how I said what I said, and I'll say it nicer next time. Oh, he, he answered, Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. And 
it's true for us too that what goes on in our heart shapes our world. We may be longing deep inside to be cool and popular. I mean, I think our upbringing almost makes those the attractive thing that we need to strive for in our society. I remember once somebody asked me when I was speaking at Mission India, I think they asked me if I had a YouTube channel. I said yes, and they asked me how many followers I had, and I said like 13, because the amount of coolness you have is how many followers you have on YouTube. I'm totally uncool in that way. That, but what we have in our heart, it influences how we live. But it is much more than just that, more than just striving to be cool, because maybe in our heart, we're carrying hurt, and we haven't allowed God to heal, and God wants to step into your heart and heal that hurt. In our heart, we may be desiring sin, and God wants to come into your heart and amputate that desire away. The, and then when we let God transform our heart, that transforms the way we live, because all sin starts in our heart. But God wants to come in, and he's in the transformation business. He wants to heal our wounds. He wants to shape our desires. He wants us to become who he made us to be, our true self. I just think about it in light of recent events, though, here in our church. You know, Betsy wanted to set up a booth at the day in the park. Totally uncool in the world's eyes, a prayer booth, I would say. But when we put our kingdom goggles on, we all get excited about it and think that it's awesome. And God used it. Now, when brought, Betsy brought it up to me, I didn't think, well, will people in the town think this is cool? Will this be good marketing? No, that's not what we think. We don't evaluate things on whether the world would think it's cool. When I, instead, I just thought, did Betsy feel called by God to do this? And let's say yes to it. And so it happened, and God uses it. Because when God calls us to do something, and we do it, no matter how uncool or foolish it may seem, it will never be done in vain. God will use it to bring about why he called you to do it. So thanks to everyone who did it. And you know what I loved about this whole thing as, as a pastor, besides the ministry that just happened? Betsy felt led, and then Betsy did it. And, and all too often what happens a lot of the times is people feel led to do something, they don't stay around church for long because then they, they hate me after this. But they feel led to do something. They come to me and tell me that we should do it. And their leading only was passionate enough to tell me about it. Rather than God called them to do something, they need to take the step to do it. And then they think I'm a failure as a pastor because I didn't do what they felt God led them to do. In the end, we all need to just do what God feels leads us to do. And when we're all doing what God leads us to do, we will be a church unlike any our community has ever seen because God, we're all different. Betsy's wired way different than me. You're wired way different than me. We're all wired differently. And when we work together and do what God's calling us to do, we will do way more than we ever planned on doing on our own. And then the school supply project comes to mind too. It's something though that we've been doing for years. But it was also birthed out of God touching us. Angel felt led to do this, so we did it. And Angel has been faithfully doing it, although she's had different leaders, but she's been faithfully serving behind the scenes, doing it year after year. And this year, she was faced with a question from somebody in our community, or more an accusation, where she was told, you're enabling people to be bad parents. The school supply project is uncool in the world's eyes. But you know what? God thinks it's infinitely cool. And that's why he called us to do it. The world doesn't dig it. And that's fine. But God called us to it. So we do it. 
He doesn't care if we're enabling parents to be bad by giving some kids some pencils. God is not concerned with that. You know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about us showing them his love. He wants this world to know that he loves them. That's why he probably called us to do it, and that's why we faithfully do it year after year. What God has called us to do, he will not allow it to be done in vain. He will work through it, even when the world thinks it's uncool. The great things of, comp of God cannot be accomplished if we're concerned about what is cool. We need to be concerned about what God is calling us to. If we're concerned about his calling rather than coolness, we will see God work and do great things among us. To be uncool in the world's eyes is insignificant compared to being cool in God's eyes. And you know, nothing makes me happier when I tell my kid, hey, why don't you clean up this? And they say, yes, Dad, and they go and clean it up. You know? And I think nothing makes God happier than when he says, hey, I want you to do this. And you say, yes, Dad, I will do this. And that just puts a big smile on God's face. No matter how insignificant it is. But here's what happens all too often. God says, I want you to do this. And I'm like, God, I'm not doing that. That doesn't need done. That's kind of, I'm learning this from the way my kids treat me, probably the way I treated my dad. Or, and then I would say, why? Why, God? Didn't I say why a lot? Yeah, that was my favorite phrase. Why, God? Why do I have to do this? I don't want to do this. It'll be uncool. And, and God just says, but I want you to do it. It might not make sense to you right now, but I want you to do it. And the more we say yes to God and we're willing to be uncool for God, the more we see that being uncool for God actually brings us the greatest joy that we would ever have. So here's the cool story that will demoralize you, making you think that you have a weak and immature faith. No. Or it'll encourage you, which is the whole purpose I shared. This story about a guy named Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz, he grew up in an abusive home. And as a child, his parents actually thought he was a horrible person. They would call him the son of Satan because he was getting into so much trouble. Eventually, when Nicky was 15, his parents were fed up with him and they sent him away to live with his brother in New York. And it wasn't long after that that Nicky ran away, got involved with the gangs, and after only six months in the gangs, Nicky became the leader. One day, a preacher was in Nicky's neighborhood. His name was David Wilkerson. And the preacher told Nicky that Jesus loved him and would never stop loving him. And this shocked Cruz, and Cruz just slapped the preacher across the face and went on to threaten the preacher's life. And at that, the preacher looked Cruz in the eye and said, you can cut me into a thousand people or pieces, but you need to know Jesus still loves you. And the preacher said, no one could kill God's love, even if you kill me. That same afternoon, the preacher then, feeling emboldened, he went to the headquarters of the gang, and he repeated the message of God's love for Cruz and the gang members. Cruz slapped him once again. Two weeks later, David Wilkerson had an evangelistic meeting in the same neighborhood, and Cruz decided he was going to go down there and teach the preacher another lesson. Cruz and several gang members headed to the location. And as the preacher spoke in the meeting, he was going to take up an offering and he actually asked Nicky Cruz and his gang members if they would be the ones to pass the plates. 
And so Nikki did that, and backstage Nikki Cruz had all the offering in his possession, and he was going to run with all the money to teach David Wilkerson a lesson. But then something happened. Something because he felt like David Wilkerson had trusted him. And at that moment, God used all that was going on to really touch Nikki Cruz's heart. And Nikki Cruz actually found himself praying for the first time. And he gave the money to the preacher, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And the next day, Nikki Cruz, in an act of true repentance, him and some gang members went down to the police station and they turned in bricks, knives, and guns that they had. And the police officers were so shocked. In fact, one said, if we had seen them coming, we probably would have shot them. And Cruz went on to Bible college. He became a preacher himself and even went back to his old neighborhood and persuaded other gang members to follow Jesus. God is in the heart-transforming business. And really, we will all, individually and collectively as a church, be better off if we choose to let him transform our hearts. If we choose to seek his desires more than we have the desire to be cool, to be popular, to be impressive in the world's eyes. As Lightning McQueen did in that opening video, he placed loving others over worldly success. And I want us to open ourselves up to Jesus too, to his leading, and then we will see what he calls us to do, and we will do whatever it is we call, he calls us to do. Because I believe that God has just begun his work in us, and I'm excited to see what he'll continue to do through us as we learn to be more faithful to him and say yes to whatever it is he calls us to. So may we learn to hear his voice and then say yes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your guidance in our lives. Um, and just the way, by faithfully serving you, we never, never find that empty. That in serving you, we're always blessed. And that you never call us to something vain, but whatever you call us to has your fruits pouring out of it. So I just pray that you would lay on your, our hearts what it is you call us to do. Maybe you're laying on people's hearts right now things that they need to be doing in their lives. If, and I just pray that you would help us to say yes to them. Pester us with that calling. Help us to not sleep at night until we say yes to it. Just Surround us with whatever it is you're calling us to do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.